All right, let's get started then this morning. I'm going to have um, Andrew come up in just a moment and, um, and have a word of prayer. We're going to do things just a little bit differently than we've done in the past. We're actually team teaching, so he's taking certain sections and I have uh, sections that we'll actually teach from. Um, but as I mentioned, as you go through the quiz, hopefully we'll be able to cover or at least touch on all of those different questions. Some of them may not really have a, uh, a complete answer. So we'll, you know, we'll, we'll try to come back to the questions at the end of the class if we have time. Uh, but uh, I really had some struggles with this particular subject. And, and it's based on the fact that uh, as I studied for this uh, particular subject, I really didn't fully understand what the Bible actually taught about divorce and remarriage. And so there's going to be some very difficult uh, conclusions, I think, that we may establish today. And I'm very sensitive to the fact that, um, as one of the quiz questions says, 50% almost of of marriages among Christians are or is ending up in divorce. So we, we have that association all the time in our church. And uh, so we're, um, you know, we're going to go through this, and we, we really appreciate all of your comments and questions as we, as, we, uh, as we try to give you a clear understanding of the biblical teaching of divorce and remarriage. And so, Andrew, why don't you come on up? We're going to get started here. And um, you have the uh, clicker, so... Just push. All right. All right. Before um, we get started, I'd like to pray. So, uh, Heavenly Father, we um, we thank you uh, so much for your goodness and uh, mercy and grace, uh, Lord. I just want to lift up all the uh, families and marriages out there, Lord. And uh, I just want to just uh, ask you to bless them, Lord. And those that are struggling out there, that, Lord, that you can just help guide them. Uh, uh, just reconciliation, that you can just bring them together and uh, completeness, Lord. Uh, may they see that it can only be done through, uh, through you. So, Lord, we th- again, just thank you for your son. And uh, I, I just ask you, Lord, that you just bless this morning in teaching. Amen. Um, before George kind of comes up and, and gets more uh, into... Um, talking about divorce and the remarriage, I wanted to get an, uh, more uh, of an aspect about uh, what God uh, sees uh, uh, marriage through God's eyes and then why uh, did he um, uh, bring it together. Uh, so, um, can I have someone re- uh, read uh, Genesis 2.18 loud? Who got it? You got it, Mark? Go ahead, shoot. And there we... Uh, and there we have it, basically, is that uh, what God did, God took Adam's rib and, and, and formed Eve. And, uh, and, what, and so what God did, he brought them together, man and woman. And right there we see, uh, from the beginning, he, uh, he, he brought them together. And then what we see is an uh, intimacy between man and woman uh, uh, described. And it can only be described as, as what Scripture calls it, being joined together and uh, they became uh, one flesh. And uh, I was, a few years ago, I was at my brother's wedding. And uh, I don't know if anyone has ever seen this analogy done, but uh, when you think about the two becoming one flesh, uh, it, it's, uh, it's pretty powerful. And what I have here is two pieces of duct tape. And when you put duct tape together, it, uh, it forms a bond. The glue actually forms a bond so strong that uh, you can't really get it apart at all. And if you do try to get it apart, what, what's going to happen? It's going to tear. It's going to break. It's, it's, it's not, and, and this is a great analogy of marriage. You know, um, what Jesus, uh, Jesus was challenged by the Pharisees um, about divorce. And, and, and he goes on to say, is it lawful for, you know, you know, f- you know for man to get, you know, divorced? Um, Jesus kind of changed the subject a little bit. He didn't want to go to man's idea of what marriage was. He wanted to stay uh, on what, what what God's idea of marriage was, and 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 going that you know, and what that was is in um, 
Mark, uh, Mark 9, we see, Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. And there we see, um, you, you, you absolutely cannot get this apart. You can try. You want to try to get that apart? And if, and if it does, it's, it's going to rip and break. And so there what God has joined together, you're going to try to get it apart, but if you do it, it's, you don't want to separate it. <laughs> Let no man separate that. Exactly. And um, it gets it's messy. And so, and, and this is just, um, and you know, and, and all this is just really to show God's design for marriage. It, 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 is, it is man and woman coming together for a lifetime. And, uh, and, the, and this is just a, a small brief uh, overview. I think this is going to help uh, show as, as uh, uh, George goes on and then talks about divorce and then and remarriage. So as Andrew has indicated, you know, uh, God specifically ordained marriage and, and he made it so that it was very difficult or he, he wanted it to be very difficult to dissolve. And that's part of the, uh, of the biblical principles here. And so we, um, so we want to also look at, well, um, you know, what does the Bible teach? Does the Bible say anything about, um, you know, a divorce and separation of marriage? And we want to take a look at this. But, you know, all marriages begin as a royal wedding, don't they? At least... All of you that were married, you know, on that day you think there's no problems whatsoever. This is, you know, my marriage is going to be like royalty, you know, big, 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 uh, you know, uh, uh, ceremony and so on. And we're going to set this marriage off and everything is going to be rosy. And so as you see from this um, uh, royal wedding that occurred um, just a few months ago, a lot of pomp and circumstance. But, you know, what happens by the time the marriage ends? And I found this picture. I've used it before. Um, and this is a coat hanger in the back of the door of the men's washroom at Bethany Methodist Retirement Home. And if you can read this, the caption above that, it actually says this, the Art C. Sandgren Memorial Coat Hook. Now, I don't know anything about this gentleman, but somehow it seems to me that this tells you a lot about his life. If his wife or his children or whatever only wanted to re- uh, memorialize him as a coat hook in the bathroom. Okay, and I, I didn't go into the ladies' room, so I don't know if his wife's coat uh, hanger, coat hook is in, the, is in the ladies' room. But anyway, it gives me a feeling that, you know, somehow... At the end of this person's life, there wasn't a whole lot uh, to memorialize. And, and I think that's true with marriages sometimes. You know, we go into it with a lot of pomp and circumstance and we expect it to be wonderful. And then when we get uh, into it a little bit, we find out, oh man, I don't know if I like this person. I don't know if, you know, if I can live with this person. This person has you know, different things that I, you know, I, I can't live with and so on. And it's not our purpose really to talk about this morning what are the reasons that bring about a divorce, but, but primarily talk about, you know, if you're at that stage or, you know, or if you're beyond that stage and you're already divorced, what does the Bible teach about uh, divorce and remarriage? And that's what we want to look at. Uh, so... You know, there are marriages that have problems, that there is lack of communication, there's all kinds of issues, and when it boils down to it, what is the basis for divorce as far as the Bible is concerned? And we want to look at several passages of Scripture that are found in the Old and New Testament, starting with the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, open up to Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. And this is one of the references uh, in the Old Testament. In fact, this was the uh, verses that Jesus and the Pharisees uh, were debating about, or at least the Pharisees were trying to draw Jesus into a, a debate about 
whether or not divorce should be required in certain circumstances. And there were actually two groups of Pharisees. One, there was one group that said, you know, any time a man is, you know, is offended by his wife, he should be able to divorce her. And, you know, there are certain sects in the Muslim faith that allow a divorce if someone burns the meal, if the husband just says, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, three times, and they're divorced. All right? And so um, the one sect of Pharisees was looking for an easy way out of the marriage. All right? And then there's another sect of Pharisees who believe that you should be required to divorce your wife if there is marital infidelity. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Okay? But notice in both of these uh, groups of Pharisees, the onus was always on the woman. She's the problem. You know, you could do what you want, but if the woman uh, did something wrong, I, I, was, uh, I, I want to divorce her. And so that's the debate. All right, and so Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, uh, is verses that recognize that divorce is a, is a problem, but it, but it seeks not to require divorce, but to regulate it. And so let's take a look at these verses 1 through 4. Someone, if they could, read, um, read those verses for me, if you would. Right. All right, so the term there is, is indecency. Now, what do we mean by that? Now, at first glance, you would suspect that means what? Infidelity, right? Uh, or, or adultery, or something of that nature. All right, but I'd like you to also turn to uh, Leviticus 20.10. All right, and someone read that verse for me. As soon as someone has that, please, uh, please read that. Right. Okay, so one of the Old Testament regulations there was that if you commit adultery or infidelity, the, the punishment is not divorce, it's what? Death. Now, I don't know how many people are actually put to death in the Old Testament because they, uh, they had an affair or committed adultery. I, I don't, it may say somewhere, but I, I'm not sure. So when we talk about indecency, we're talking about something other than infidelity. And there's been a lot of debate over this, but, but uh, the bottom line is that indecency usually means some type of lewd behavior or exposure or nakedness or even barrenness of the womb. So if, if your wife didn't have a, uh, a, a child, then uh, you could divorce her according to this, uh, to this regulation. And so there is some debate over what those things mean, but primarily uh, it's some kind of lewd behavior. All right, and I, I would assume it might be homosexuality as well and some other things in there. All right, so we see that the Old Testament requirement for adultery was actually death and not divorce. All right, now it's interesting to note though that, um, you know, Jesus. In Matthew 5.32, uh, if we could turn to that real quick. Uh, let's see, is it 5.32? I believe it is 5.32. 5, uh, 5.31 and 32. Anyone can read that when they have that? Right. And so Jesus seems to indicate that there is maybe one exception, and that exception would be adultery, but it doesn't say that necessarily that it should cause death. All right? And we understand that. We won't go to uh, John chapter 8 at the moment, but you're all familiar with the story of the, of the woman caught in adultery. Now, here's the perfect storm here. They brought before Jesus someone that was caught in the very act, and they have witnesses. And so, you know, they, of course, were trying to test Jesus, but the idea there was she, th there's no doubt about her guilt. And, in fact... Um, the Bible gives the idea that she was kind of like understanding that her fate was she was going to be stoned. And yet, we understand that Jesus, uh, faced with someone caught in the very act, did not say 
pick up stones and stone her according to what the Old Testament would say. What was his answer? That's right. Alright, so Jesus looked at it from the position that, and this was the change in the New Testament, that why is she the only guilty party? It should be both. Both should suffer the same punishment. But at the same time, Jesus said that we're all guilty. In fact, if you look at Matthew 5, 27 and 28, if someone could go back to those verses real quick for me. What does Jesus say again in the Sermon on the Mount, which we just read um, uh, just a few minutes ago? Art, do you have that one as well? Right. And so Jesus even extended adultery to even our thoughts. Now, you know, I'm sure that most men would agree with me. You know, I've certainly had those thoughts. And so according to the Word, I'm guilty of committing adultery. But going back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament says... You know, death. Alright, so Jesus is extending it not only to the act itself, but to the thoughts that we have. The thoughts that no one else knows about except ourselves and God. And so, um, so Jesus was certainly giving, you know, the, the, um, you know, the principles here that any sin, even that of adultery, is forgivable by the Father. And that he forgives those sins, and so um, and, and so um, we we understand that you know that um, that man does have a sin nature. He does sin. There are difficult uh, you know uh, sin issues that we face all of the time, but but the Bible teaches that you know that sin is sin. And although divorce is, you know, is something that should be avoided as much as possible, and Andrew's going to talk about reconciliation in just a few minutes, it's not, and it's not his desire, and, and he encourages us not to even go there, but he did not look the other way either. And so when, when people sin and they commit adultery or they divorce or whatever, you know, God still loves us. God still wants us to come to Him, but, uh, but He also knows and understands that we're going to face the consequences of that sin. Those consequences do not go away. All right? But anyway, let's, uh, I got a little bit off track, but, it's, but God's desire is to make divorce very difficult. All right? It shouldn't be easy. Uh, one of the questions is, is that our civil laws have changed to allow people to get divorced for almost any reason. Even, you know, just uh, incompatibility. You know, usually you'll, you'll hear about our Hollywood, our wonderful Hollywood stars that we love to go and watch in movies. But they're getting divorced all the time and it's usually because we're incompatible. And so, um, it's... Uh, the that God's desire is to make it very difficult. He regulates it, but he does not condone it. And the spouse's actions must be substantial. And we've already talked about that, or actually we'll talk about that a little bit more, as to what is considered substantial. All right. Now, many other Old Testament passages portray divorce in a very negative light. Okay, there's nothing positive about, about divorce in the Old Testament, and I've listed a number of different passages there, and you can look some of these up. But in every instance, um, you know, divorce is portrayed as very negative. Okay, and we, we got off track a little bit, but we already talked about the Sermon on the Mount um, in that Jesus defined divorce as... Permissible, and I want to make sure that that word is clear, permissible for sexual immorality. All right? It's permissible, but not required. And again, that's what I wanted to go back to the two schools of thought, both the Shammai and the Hillel uh, schools of thought, the Pharisees of that day, they had different reasons for divorce, but they said it was required. If, if, uh, if someone was caught... In adultery, it should be required. Uh, the Hillels said that if it's anything the husband doesn't like, he should, they, they should be required to divorce. They were a lot more liberal. 
But in both cases, it's required. But, but what the Bible teaches is it's, it's permitted, but we should make every effort to save that marriage, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, rather than go through the divorce. Okay. Now, when Jesus told them that, um, well, let's go back and look at Matthew 19.10. We're, we're, we're jumping around a little bit. Let's, let's open our Bibles to uh, Matthew 19.10. 19, through 10. I'm going to start at verse 3. It says, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Again, that's the two schools of thought. Have you not read, and this is Jesus now, he says, Have you not read uh, that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That's a very strong command. uh, That what God puts together... No one should separate, but they they wouldn't give up. So they said, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus said, because of the hardness of your hearts. Moses allowed to, to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now, um, it's... It, Sometimes we don't get the impact until we understand in that culture of that day what the reaction was. And the disciples' reaction is very important there. Okay? And, and basically they came to him later and said, well, that's very difficult. In fact, it's so difficult that it's probably better not to get married at all. And there shouldn't be marriages. But Jesus said a very interesting thing. He said, let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. In other words, God has called us to marriage. He didn't call us to be single, necessarily. Now, he does call some to be single, but the majority to be married. And that's his desire. And we need to understand that that it is going to be difficult. Marriage is going to be difficult. But, as Christians, we have the love and support of the Holy Spirit and God Himself to help us through those difficult times. And and so God wants us to grow and mature in our in our lives. And we can't do that without problems. And you know and and we cannot depend on him without problems. And so if every marriage was like the royal wedding that I just showed you a little bit earlier, and everything was just pomp and circumstance and wonderful, we wouldn't, we wouldn't need to depend on God. And so the disciples understood that to be a very difficult thing, but Jesus said, you know, some can accept that, but most of us will say, I would like to have a lifetime companion and, and get married. So... Um, so that's, you know, that's what Jesus was teaching on this. Now, I want to just go real quickly as, into what Paul adds to this debate. And if we could turn to 1 Corinthians 7.10 real quick. And uh, if someone would read those verses, uh, just get started and I'll stop you. We probably won't go through all 16. Anyone have that, starting with verse 10? Right, thank you, Mick. Well, you know, again, uh, in looking at this, um, you know, Paul does understand that, um, you know, that there are some issues here. And we find that in our, um, you know, in our society as well, that, um, you know, that there's all kinds of different marriage situations. You might have two believers together. You may have uh, two non-Christians that are married, and one becomes a believer and the other doesn't. Or you may have two that are uh, non-Christians and become believers during their married life. There's all different kinds of scenarios here. And so Paul addresses uh, some of that when he says that, that um, you know, if you have a, uh, a mixed marriage, there is the possibility of separation here. All right. It says that um, you know, but but I would I would call you to work with your husband if he's an unbeliever, and you know, and encourage him through your actions to become a believer. 
But we find that, you know, that in, in many instances, no matter how uh, much the person prays and how much the person uh, encourages through their actions, their spouse just does not want to have anything to do with spiritual values. And Paul indicates here that, um, that if he wants to separate, he or she, let him go. Don't worry about that. All right? Let it go. And in fact, um, you know, you, you can remarry again. And we're going to talk about that under, re, uh, under uh, um, our section here on, on remarriage. But, um, but Paul does not address the issue of two believers because he, because he teaches very strongly that if you have two believers, they should remain married. And, and so Paul does not necessarily address that issue except to infer that people who are married Christians should remain that way. All right? So, so if, we, if we understand what Paul is saying, we understand what Jesus is saying in the Old Testament, we, in putting some of these things together, Judaism said re, divorce is required for sexual immorality, but the Bible seems to teach what we what is considered the exclusion cause, that there are a couple of reasons that, you know, that people could conceivably divorce. It's not required, it's not encouraged by the Bible, but it's possible. And so we have to ask ourselves the questions, are we contemplating divorce? Well, if you are, you know, go back to what the Scripture says. And how much, how important a love is in a, in a marriage, and how these problems need to be worked out. Are you divorced now? Well, Paul says, don't necessarily uh, try to fix the situation that you're in at the moment. If you're divorced now, well, it, it, we shouldn't go back and say, well, if I'm divorced, do I need to, you know, to go back to my former spouse and and remarry or her, whatever? Or are you divorced and remarried? All of these situations are, are, um, are found in the church. And Paul encourages us um, in verse 17 of that same chapter. It says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. This is my rule in the churches. It says, and then he goes on uh, in 24, it says, So brothers, in whatever condition each one was called, there." There, let him remain with God. And so Paul is, tell, is, is you know, sometimes when we, when we recognize and we see what the, the Word teaches, we want to make some significant changes in our, in our life, which may or may not necessarily be uh, good. Paul is teaching us it takes a lot of prayer and a lot of reading of the Word before, um, you know, before any changes are made. Now, let me let me go on here um, because I just want to talk real quickly uh, about remarriage. It says, "If I'm a divorced Christian, can I remarry? Does the Bible say um, that we can remarry?" Well, the Old Testament teaching about remarriage, other than uh, the death of the spouse, it teaches that that there is no uh, remarriage other than the death of the spouse. Okay. So uh, the Old Testament says that, that uh, you're free to remarry if, if your spouse has passed away. Other than that, no. Now Jesus teaches that, uh, that except for sexual immorality, anyone who remarries commits adultery. Okay, so Jesus teaches that, you know, that, that sexual immorality is the one exception that you know, that if you were divorced for that reason, allows you to once again remarry. And, uh, you know, and again, uh, we already talked about the disciples' reaction and Jesus' response to that. Paul also teaches that there's no remarriage after divorce. All right? And we could look at that in 1 Corinthians 7, 10, and 11. Okay? Now, again, it's not required, but it's permissible We've already talked about there are two exceptions for, re, uh, for remarriage, death 
and what is what I'm calling abandonment. In other words, uh, the unbelieving spouse abandons abandons you because of your you know your spiritual commitment or for whatever reason. And those would be the two exceptions. But again, I realize that you know that um, even though the Bible teaches these two exceptions, some of you here may have been remarried or divorced or whatever, and don't really fall into these exceptions. Well, again, you know, as Paul has indicated, um, it's it's not something that we should scramble to fix just because now we understand what maybe the Bible teaches us. Uh, and so, um, but in the but. But if, if you're contemplating that or considering um, divorce, these would be the only two exceptions that would, that would be um, permitted in the word for remarriage. Uh, now, I don't know if there's any questions or anything about that. Does anyone have any uh, questions? Yeah, Nancy? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well... That's a good question, and we wanted to talk about physical abuse here next because that has become something that's very prominent in our society is physical abuse. And I'm sure there's probably just as much physical abuse in the past, but uh, it wasn't as uh, well documented as it is today. And, you know, physical abuse is a real problem. I know that my wife teaches at Medina Christian School, and they're trained to watch for kids coming into class that may have signs of physical abuse. But what happens when an adult comes in to drop their kids off, which is what happened to my wife a few years ago, and she could see that the wife was beat up, black eye, bruises, and so on. What is her responsibility? Now, unfortunately, the husband of this particular wife comes from a culture that pretty much says it's okay to beat up your wife if she's not doing what she's supposed to do. All right? And so that's a, it's a real problem, physical abuse. And, uh, but yet the Bible still teaches that everything should be done in prayer and in, you know, in, and in, uh, you know, and in loving your spouse, uh, you know, opposed to immediate divorce, to do everything possible uh, to save that marriage. Because, you know, God can do miracles in a marriage. Don't you agree? And if, and, and if He can't do it, well, then no one can. But we know that God can do that. But it does come down to a point that eventually you have to say, enough is enough. And that's a difficult point to, to come to. And so... Uh, to answer your question, yes, that sounds like some pretty awful stuff. And, and if that's the case in any of our marriages, my, I would encourage you, and that's part of this uh, class today, is I would encourage you to, you know, to check in with Michael or Brianne and start a counseling process and allow them to help you get to a point where that decision may be necessary. Of course, you know, you, you don't want to stay in that situation too long. So the church has a responsibility, and that's another issue that we wanted to talk about, we may not get to, is separation. What does the Bible teach about separation in a, in a marriage? If there's physical issues like that, is it the church's responsibility to house or help someone who is having abuse in their you know in their marriage and it is it is our responsibility to provide and to help that that individual uh, get away from th- that um, that situation and so physical abuse is an issue that the church must address and it must be willing to help yes mark I think to, to be- right exactly you know it's something that you know, if, if it's going on in the family, it may be something that, that you're ashamed of today and you're afraid to bring that up. But, but just based on what you were, you, know, you were sharing about this poor child or what my wife saw when this lady came in to drop her kids off at school and, we could, and she could tell this, you know, this, this 
wife had gone through terrible abuse, but was accepting it because it's the culture. You know, you know, we it it needs to be brought before um, someone in the church, either Michael or Brianne or elders or Mark or Pat, and confidentially, uh, you know, it needs to be addressed. It's a very difficult issue uh, in the church today. And so I encourage you to come forward. Because again, uh, we need to move on here. We're running out of time. But again, you know, it's the responsibility of the church and the responsibility of the leadership of the church to preserve marriages. And, 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 and that should be our goal. The Bible, you know, we've talked about this, and some of these things are very difficult because the Bible teaches pretty much that there shouldn't be a, uh, a divorce. But, but the church is not doing its job. We're not helping Christians to resolve uh, difficulties in their marriage. We're not helping them. And so we're seeing that people just cannot work out problems and they see that the real solution is let's separate let's let's get a divorce all right well i'm gonna i gotta turn this over to because we've got a lot to to cover while he's coming sure well that's probably very true because that's what happens you know the first thing that people do when they run into problems is they pull away from the church and that's that's the unfortunate thing and and you're right That's exactly kind of this, uh, what I was just going to briefly talk about here is just the, the uh, reconciliation of it. And um, in Scripture, we always see um, God and Israel, and Israel always continually to sin uh, against God. And it's always, uh, sometimes it, it, it involved as, as God's called spiritual adultery in this matter. And, and God's like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore. But then always, God's heart is his love for Israel and back to him. It, it's it, it always. Um, Hosea 14.1 uh, reads, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your... And, um, and it, it is always just a picture uh, of marriage. Now, our marriage, you know, um, as Christians, and... Um, and I, and I know we talked about abuse here, and we talked about uh, sexual immorality, and, and we know that it, it, it doesn't have to, you know, go uh, to divorce. But the culture and, uh, and the influence of advice from non-Christians is going to play a big impact even on uh, Christians, um, you know, uh, you know, if, if, if a spouse did commit adultery and, and the other spouse is at work and, and, and telling the co-workers about this, um, they're going to get advice like, that's it, man, leave, you know, leave that partner. You don't, you know, you don't have to put up with that. You don't have to stay with that. Or, or abuse situation. You don't have to be in that abuse. Get out of that situation. And now, yes, I mean, there are times where there is abuse and uh, that, but, and a separation probably needs to be dealt with. Authorities need to be called. And, and, and dealt with, I mean, our, our, our government is structured, you know, for that. Now, but there's going to come a time when it's possibly that one partner who did cause that offense repents and wants forgiveness. Now, what is that, what's the responsibility to the other, uh, 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 of the person who was offended? I mean, it is absolutely, they need to uh, forgive. You know, that's God's heart and, and, and they need to, uh, to, to mind now, but that's only when true repentance actually uh, uh, occurs. Um, you have repentance, forgiveness, and then and, and then love. Um, now, when that happens, uh, it's it's only then that the two parties can really come together, come back together, um, and then work on the marriage. And now. As we were just briefly talking about, uh, as we're switching up here, it is truly the church's responsibility and, and our responsibility as Christians to see if, if, if there's a Christian friend, or even if it's not a Christian friend, there's an opportunity to talk to a non-Christian uh, about maybe they're struggling or talking about wanting a divorce. You know, when we go and we speak to them saying, you know, hey, you don't have to get a divorce. So I understand right now you're separated, but, you know, you know, there might be an opportunity here to work on this marriage. Um, but, um, 
person who is um, the person who was you know offended, um, a lot of bitterness spring up in them. And now it's a, it's 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 unfortunate that um, it's not this person's fault. It's not this person's uh, you, 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 what happened to this person. But um, that bitterness equally has to be dealt with. If, if that other person wants to come back into the marriage. I mean, otherwise, you're going to have a marriage that is, is still continuing to, to struggle and, and, and move on. And, and, and that is where the, the true forgiveness lay. And, and obviously, we see the true forgiveness uh, uh, exactly what Jesus did. Um, I, I mean, probably can all you know, look and, and see how much, you know, how much forgiveness we received Jesus and extend this forgiveness that have harmed us. But, um, you know, through the church, through counseling, um, it, it is definitely a must, you know, and along these people and in Christ. Um, so when these uh, two people do come back uh, together and they both have, um, you know, the person has worked out the bitterness maybe part and those issues, that person maybe uh, who was once an abuser, uh, once was an adulterer, you know, has now, uh, has now wanted not, nothing to do with that. It is truly repented. It, it, it is there where you can now have a marriage come together and that one that can glorify God. You know, and, and, and he's even through this, through, um, I know several different you know, ministries who, uh, who, whose broken marriages come back together and then they are able to help and glorify God bring marriages. Um, and that's, uh, do we want to continue with question and answer? Or? No. All right. Thank you. Just to, just to continue here a little bit, um, I want to just uh, address a couple other issues. What is the church's responsibility uh, to those? We talked a little bit about this to those who are experiencing you know, difficulties in marriage. You know, the church's goal always should be to, to work very diligently to help people avoid uh, divorce. And so our, our responsibility is to really assist those who are experiencing marriage difficulties. And, and if you are aware of someone who might be having difficulties, you know, it's, it's incumbent upon you to talk to the elders. You know, it may not be necessarily in your marriage, but you know of someone who is having difficulty. Uh, it, the church has a responsibility to help those. We should never as a church look down or on or ostracize the divorced person. We're going to find that in our culture there are divorced people for whatever reason. And we, and we should not look down or ostracize those. And I don't think we do that in our church. We also need to support those who are experiencing physical abuse, and we already talked about that, um, so I won't go back into that. But also, I think it's incumbent upon the church to provide appropriate opportunities to serve in the local church. And so we should not ostracize people who have, um, who have gone through a divorce from serving in the local church. Now, there may be some... Uh, some positions that may not be appropriate, but I think m many of the responsibilities within the church should be available to those uh, who are uh, divorced. And so the church needs to accept this responsibility. And, uh, you know, and, and we need to create a good, warm, loving home in the church for those who are uh, divorced. And to also help those who may be struggling in their uh, in their marriage. Um, now, there, but uh, we've already you know tried to address the fact that sin is sin, and there is going to be divorced couples in the church. They may not have uh, divorced or remarried for the reasons that are given in in Scripture, but just like. All of us, we're all sinners. And, uh, you know, anything that we do in sin has its consequences. Uh, the Bible teaches us that God forgives us for every sin that we, we get, no matter what it is. You know, I used to uh, be a good friend with, uh, with a gentleman by the name of Burley out at Wayside Cross. And many of you remember him. And his brother was actually a murderer. He had killed two or three people and he was in prison. 
but through Burley and others, his brother had become a Christian. And he was leading prayer uh, and Bible studies in prison, and he was one of the ones that Governor Ryan commuted his death sentence to life in prison. But he's serving the Lord in prison and, uh, and has quite a testimony. God can forgive all sins. But we still have consequences. Just because Burley's brother is a Christian, he's still serving life in prison. And so the consequences of our sin will remain even after we've confessed our sins and received forgiveness. So if, you know, sometimes our, uh, people who have, um, have divorced for whatever reason face consequences and some of them are usually uh, frustration and bitterness over issues of the separation and divorce such as visitation or child support just outright anger toward each other because uh, because they're divorced we also know that children are affected by the lack of love between their parents and so uh, when children do not grow up in a uh, you know a uh, know a, a husband and wife family that that love each other they are certainly affected and and uh, and and typically there's consequences for the children and fourthly their children are confused by the step parents attempts to fulfill the parents love so remarriages don't always solve uh, these problems and so we know that there's consequences we're going to face consequences but in everything God loves us, and he will help us through those times. He didn't say he'd eliminate them, but he says that he will bring us through those times. All right? And it helps us to grow closer to him. All right? And, and lastly, um, you know, there is counseling available here at Village Church. And, and Village Church is, is committed to helping those who need biblical counseling. So you can contact Michael or Brianne. You can contact the elders, but you know, but it's incumbent upon uh, the church to help in any way that we can, and we're certainly willing to do that. Now let's uh, let's take a couple of questions here. Is there any any uh, questions? If not, we'll go to the quiz for a few moments, and we'll go through that. Well, you know. Um, that occurs a lot in, in marriage. And, and that's because we don't honor what it says about in, in Ephesians. And, um, you know, that we should love our wives and the spouses should, uh, and the wa- husbands should love their wives and vice versa. And so, you know, that's a pride issue. And most of it boils down to a pride issue that your spouse doesn't, you know, meet some expectations. And so, you can withdraw and hold things back and hold back that, um, you know, that love or uh, communication or whatever. And, and emotional abuse can be just as dangerous and serious as physical abuse, wouldn't you agree? Okay, in fact, more so in some cases. You know, because we know the Bible teaches that, you know, uh, men and women are different and they have different needs, and, um, you know, and so men are very good at knowing when they can get back at their wives because of, they, of lack of communication or coming home from work and sitting in front of the TV and ignoring them for the evening. We're very good at that, all right? And, uh, and so that's just as serious as a physical abuse. And it shows that pride issue and lack of, of love. Any other questions? Yes. Right. Right. That was actually one of our questions. How should members of a family deal with a parent? Okay. Who has a good answer for B on that one? Yes. Well, it is. I, I understand, and that is true, but, but still, you know, blood relatives, in other words, you know, child and not the child of the stepfather, he's always gonna always gonna have a relationship that really exceeds else. So I, I think I understand that he that he feels you know closer to you than his stepfather because you know you're his mother and his stepfather is just someone that came into the but it is yeah it is our relationship with God first that's well any other questions all right real quickly we'll just go through this oh yeah 
Go ahead, Carl. Yeah, we talked about that several weeks ago. Yeah, and a problem. And a lot of issues involved. Back before July, happy to talk about it. But that is an issue because people do not have a commitment to almost anything. That in employment, people don't have the commitment. You don't find anybody that works for a company. And the companies aren't committed to them either. But does a lifetime commit jumping all over the place. Right. And, and again, Carl, just like we talked about in... in so, you know, people are looking at that outside of biblical marriage. So we're, we're just about done. I wanted to emphasize again that, you know, Paul you know, encourages us that whatever state that we're in, make it the absolute best. So if, so whatever, so if you're in a marriage now, we should, you know, we should make a biblical marriage that God, uh, you know, has given us. If we're cohabiting right, cohabitating right now, which... Uh, but the but the Bible, the principles of the Bible would say that you really love someone, you will marry that person, and you remain married. All right, but but there's but Paul encourages us. You know, if we're divorced and we're remarried, Paul encourages us make the most of that marriage. All right, you know, make it a biblical marriage and make it the best that it possibly. No, uh, go ahead, Mark. I was just gonna... because you know, again, no matter what we do, it comes to sin. Those sins are forgiven. You know, a Savior who went to the cross and shed His blood for all of those, and you know, and the principles in God's Word, you know, are true and correct, and they will never change. But we do know that the Bible also teaches sin. We have an advocate with the Father. When we confess those sins, He has to forgive us. Those. So, you know, all of our marriages, even if you've been one person, for there is still responsibility that we have our spouse and God to make that marriage exactly what the Bible teaches. It takes a lot of work. It, it takes a lot of work. And the problem is is that too many of us come to a where we say it's not, it's not repairable. It can't be. God can fix this. But we know that with God, nothing is impossible. And he confided that we allow him to do that. So anyway, I hope this was helpful. You know, if that, if you know, if the you know the, the word and, and the the requirements and the word that we talked about is troubling to some of you, you know, please see one of us afterwards. I'd love to continue a discussion. Love to talk a little bit more about it. Um, you know, so f- please feel free to you know to um, you know afterwards. So uh, let's uh, close in a word of prayer. We're practically out of time. Gracious Lord, thank you again for your goodness to us, Lord. The opportunity to share uh, your word, Lord. And understand that you have some pretty strong standards for just about every part of our life. And Lord, most of those uh, we violate almost on a daily basis. Yet, Lord, you understand that. You know that uh, sin rules in our lives many times. Lord, it's just so humbling to me to know that uh, you really and wonderfully, uh, you know, call us back to you. They uh, come back, your sins are forgiven. Uh, I want to be part of your life. And we're just so thankful, Lord. Um, you know, you called your nation of Israel back to you. Over and over and over, still love your nation just the same way that you love each one of us who are your children. And we thank you with the knowledge that, you know, bought with a price, we're permanently given salvation, Lord. We cannot lose it, Lord, and we're holy and good God, and we give all the praise in your name.